0: I'm Carol Cohn, and welcome to Purpose 360, the podcast that unlocks the power of purpose to ignite business and social impact. In today's episode of Purpose 360, we're going to take a deep dive into one of America's most venerable not-for-profits, one that addresses a preventable crime and that's Mothers Against Drunk Driving, or MAD for short. Founded in 1980, MAD has been a driving force at preventing the devastating consequences of drunk driving. But here's a sobering fact. Every 79 seconds, someone is killed or injured in a drunk driving crash in the United States. This is a 100% preventable crime And it's a stark reminder there's still so much work to be done. Indeed, today, an astonishing two in three Americans will be impacted by this preventable crime in some way, whether a victim, a family member, or a concerned citizen. Unfortunately, the year end holidays have the highest amounts of deaths and injuries from drunk and impaired driving, with 21 million chances to encounter a significant accident. We invite you to join us in this powerful conversation as we celebrate the progress that's been made and shed light on the path forward. Together, we can work towards a future where no one has to endure the pain of a preventable tragedy. Joining us is Stacey Stewart, CEO at Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Also, Kim Pucci, Senior Director at Mothers Against Drunk Driving. So welcome to the show, Stacy and Kim.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having us.
0: Oh it's it's my pleasure but I have to just um embarrass Stacy just a little bit because she has a storied background leading the March of Dimes president of United Way she's been on just uh, amazing boards and so it's wonderful to have you at the helm of this amazing organization Stacy
1: thanks for having us on this is um a great opportunity for me and uh, you know I I think for Matt Given where we are in society today, there are over thirteen thousand people that die as a result of alcohol-related crashes. That's about a third of all traffic fatalities uh, in the country every year. And we've seen a significant increase in the number of fatalities and injuries on our roads, especially during the period of the pandemic. Over the history of Mad, Mad has made significant progress with respect to the number of people who die or are injured as a result of alcohol-related crashes, about the number of crashes now. It's about 50% of what it was when Matt first started. But it's also a time that we have to re, really redouble our efforts. And I think part of what I'm passionate about is the fact that it is something that we can completely avoid. Well, Matt is very fortunate to have you at the helm at this point
0: because it's a preventable crime. So, so let me turn to Kim. Can you talk a little bit about your background and what brought you to Matt?
2: Well, thank you as well for inviting Matt to take part in this great interview. I feel so honored to be here after listening to so many episodes. For me, I've spent almost a quarter of a century now helping nonprofits mobilize movements, um, if you will, that have catalyzed profound change and impact. And I spent most of my career working in international Uh, working for a number of global organizations and NGOs like UNICEF and World Food Program, and transitioned over to domestic causes with some animal welfare, and most recently joined MAD at the early part of 2023. And I think for me, my why of being here, beyond just this desire to see greater impact and uh, lives being saved as a result of this devastating crisis that Stacey articulated is I think this is the first cause that has really affected me personally in terms of my daily concerns as a mother and seeing my adult children driving on the roads and realizing how vulnerable we all are. And so when the opportunity presented itself to be part of this amazing, you know, 43-year-old organization and establish its relevance again for this new generation, I just jumped at the chance. So I'm delighted to be here and part of this new movement.
0: I know that you're... Leaning into how do you make the organization more relevant today? You've got many, many great initiatives. So, can you talk a, a little bit about one or two, Stacy, that truly are very close to your heart? And I also know, Stacy, if you don't mind, that you do have a connection in your family with an impaired driver.
1: Yeah, I I, I do. <laughs> um, th- thanks for raising that. Um, I um. Uh, it wasn't an alcohol related crash, but my sister, who just recently passed um just a few months ago so sorry um was a victim thank you um was a victim of a drowsy driving crash um that happened in California uh in nineteen eighty uh, ironically the same year that mad was founded and um uh she suffered a severe spinal cord injury became a quadriplegic she had an amazing life and and um ended up going to law school anyway and became a judge. And And when she passed, she was a municipal court judge in Atlanta, um, which is where I'm from originally. But I, I do know firsthand um, the devastation of these kinds of, of crashes and what it can mean uh, to people. And how it can change the lives of those impacted, sometimes even ending the lives of people, but it can change the lives of family members as well. So, you know, I think a lot of people um, may not know that Mad really became a household name for a couple of things. Um, one is um, the extensive amount of work that MAD was heavily involved in to ensure that the legal limit for um, blood alcohol concentration would become established at 0.08. And I think that was a an important milestone in this country's hit- history to set these legal limits for what what would trigger impairment for those that are drinking and then getting behind the wheel and driving today, you know, we have some other opportunities just recently in 2021 because of the infrastructure bill that was passed, the bipartisan infrastructure bill that was signed into law by president Biden that allowed for a mandate that uh, was included as a part of that bill that now will require standard equipment and cars For there to be alcohol monitoring technology that would allow there to be passive monitoring for those that get behind the wheel if they've been drinking and would be able to monitor whether or not someone is at a 0.08 level of uh, blood alcohol concentration um, and would, by all estimates, probably account for another over 10,000 people whose lives would be saved if this kind of technology were implemented in cars. Technology, um, is available today. Um, and this, what's really promising is the fact that this legislation and the technology that could be implemented, hopefully in the next, in the coming years might actually save those lives and save many, many people. And
0: that technology certainly follows on. Way back when, when we didn't have seatbelts, and then we, you know, seatbelts were very low tech. And then, you know, cameras in cars that now help us. And then the warning systems if you're changing lanes. And so it's it's wonderful to hear that that is in process, um, and and that the work, the advocacy work that you do. It's, do you want to talk a little bit more about how that advocacy work is is progressing? Because it is really really powerful.
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, I think it's one of the most important parts of what MAD has done. The fact that we have staff volunteers in virtually every state around the country that were actively involved in changing laws at the state level, like stronger ignition interlock laws that would make sure that we don't have repeat offenders of DUI offenders. The fact that we, um, as you mentioned, were so involved in changing seatbelt laws, the fact that there was a a period of time where where we were almost demonized and mad for advocating for seatbelt laws is just sort of uh, almost laughable at this point, given what we know about seatbelts. We have 94% compliance with seatbelt applications country, but of the 6% noncompliance, about half of all the traffic fatalities happen in those crashes where we have only 6% lack of compliance with seatbelt laws. So we know the seatbelts work. We know that the 0.08 blood alcohol concentration limit has helped save lives. We know that this technology will save lives. We, we also know that in order to make these kinds of advancements, we sometimes have to convince the public and educate the public about why these things are important. So that's another part of what MAD um, will be doing more of, especially around this new technology in cars. And I know
0: we're going to get into a new initiative that you have that you're going to be rolling out during the holiday. Before we get into that, Kim, I wanted to ask you about relevance. I know you did a piece of research. You were a bit surprised how much love there is for Matt. So can you talk a little bit about that research and a little bit about relevance?
2: I'd be happy to. Yes, I mean, we fielded a brand tracking study last summer and, you know, not surprisingly, um, MAD does have significantly high awareness. People know all about us. Where we tend to um, drop off a bit in awareness, though, is among people of color and younger generations. Very much so with younger generations who simply haven't grown up with MAD in the school systems, perhaps the way, you know, Gen X and older have, have seen it. We know this is an issue that is going to affect Gen Z and subsequent de- generations. So we know this is an issue that resonates with both younger kids and older. In terms of relevance, though, for the general population, I just don't think people really realize that this is an issue that impacts them. Um, As Stacey mentioned, the more than 13,000 people who Are killed every year by drunk driving. I think that's a bit of an abstract notion unless there's a face behind the story. Um, And so we have some wonderful uh, victims and survivors. Uh, We were with several of them this past Friday. and, and, And really, they brought to life the story better than anybody as people personally impacted now redirecting their work towards advocacy. But I think the one thing that is making this more relevant is the prevalence. We just recently uncovered a new statistic that, um, according to the CDC, there are about 347,000 incidents of drunk driving that take place every day. Uh, We know that not every single one of those incidents results in a crash, but it is very prevalent. So we do need to reawaken this cause. We do need to make sure people realize this is something that could happen to them. Um, You know, I keep saying, if you think this can't happen to you, think again. So we're retelling our narrative around this number of incidences to make sure people realize that when you walk out your door or your loved ones walk out the door, there is a high risk of them being impacted by a drunk or drug driver nowadays. Stacey, there's
0: many initiatives besides your wonderful advocacy work that MAD has undertaken, uh, focusing on younger generations, focusing on parents. Can you talk a little bit about the one or two that you have found? that uh, you really feel are effective and that are going to make an impact um, on awareness and then behavior change?
1: There are two areas of work where MAD has a significant impact. One is in educating young people, parents, and communities about the, the dangers of underage drinking as well as the dangers of impaired driving. Um, our Power Parents program, Power of Youth program, Um, Those programs are programs that are evidence-based and they're aimed to really help educate people in ways that will inform them of um, how they can address their own behavior to keep themselves safer and keep others safe as well. I think the other area where we are particularly strong and really where our work is very valued um, is in the area of victim services. So we have a significant amount of our work dedicated to making sure that we meet the needs of victims and survivors of impaired driving crashes. Um, We have programs like our court monitoring program, other services we provide to victims in terms of emotional support and other ways to help them navigate their lives post the crash that are incredibly helpful. We have a 1-800 number. It's actually 1-877-MADD-HELP. Uh, number that you can call. It's a victim helpline. It's uh, available twenty four seven. We have people that man those calls. We have trained professionals that are trained to address the needs of individuals who are in a, again who are a victim or a survivor of a crash. And we have helped many, many tens and tens of thousands of people over our history uh, to get the help they need and be reconnected. Um, and the last thing I'll just say about this is connecting back to the advocacy point. Our victims and survivors are the most effective voices in changing perceptions and laws. And so we're really grateful. But every day they're involved in helping others who have survived similar situations, um, sharing their experiences, um, sharing their experiences with, with DUI offenders so that hopefully we change their future behavior as well. They just have become an invaluable part of who Matt is, and we would not be who we are as an organization without them. I'd like
0: to commend you on, you have some incredibly powerful stories on your website. And so, um, you know, I really want to, in terms of my prep for, for this show to, um, share with our listeners that this is an organization that needs your support, that is there for all of us, uh, whether it's the advocacy or the storytelling or the fundraising. So you are to be commended and you are actually very relevant today. Let's now switch to something that you're doing, which is a holiday initiative um, that may go longer. Stacy, I'm sure that when you when you got into the organization and you saw this, tie one on for safety. It was an initiative that is what almost you know, twenty-five years ish old, maybe thirty years. And people would tie a red ribbon on their antenna. Now for those of us old enough, yes, cars had antennas. Uh they they don't anymore. <laughs> And then it evolved to decals and others, the red ribbon, to remind someone, hey, if you're impaired, have somebody else take you home. You know, get a cab, get a rideshare or such. So, Stacey, I'm just curious about your your thinking when you first saw that and you probably even knew about it. What did you think about Taiwan on for safety? And then we're going to talk about the evolution of this new initiative that's going to be launched early November called To Get There.
1: It's an initiative that's been going on for thirty-six years, and um, as Kim mentioned, we know we we may feel that our work is relevant, but whether or not we are relevant to people, whether or not our work is meaningful and relevant, is really what we're aiming for, and that means we've got to figure out new and innovative ways to engage people and make sure that our work really speaks to people. And going back to this point of how people feel when they're out for a fun evening during the holidays and or you have a loved one that goes out during the holidays and you kind of take it for granted that of course they'll make it back home Um, but the fact that we have you know every 79 seconds someone either dies or is injured um, due to uh, an alcohol related crash means that there are far too many people who even this holiday season will not make it back home or if they do make it back home. It may be after a hospital visit because they've been injured as a result of a crash. So the idea of to get there, to get there, to get here, (laughs) to get there is sort of a play on words. It's it's really asking people not only to be reminded of the dangers of impaired driving, but also to make a commitment that they will not drive drunk this holiday season not drive drunk any day of the year, but certainly not during this holiday season.
2: Really what to get there is um, is an articulation of really the change we want to see most in the world, which um, is really about uh, a world where impairment puts no lives at risk. As Stacy said, it's been 43 years of work to get here to a place where Matt has helped reduce the number of drunk driving deaths by 50%. But we want to get there to that world of no more victims. And we only can do that if we do that together. And so the triple play on words is by design. And I think is a really interesting way to articulate the desire that we see for that change. And so we've rolled it out. Uh, we've approached it actually as, as a, you know, it is a campaign that's starting as a, a rollout over the holidays to replace Taiwan on for safety. Um, but really our hope is that it will work as a cause program uh, that for most nonprofits can bring about brand awareness and engagement, whether it's volunteerism or advocacy support and fundraising, of course, always fundraising, um, across multiple audience groups. I mean and we've seen, um, you know, I'm sure as marketers that when these strategies can come together. Um, when a cause platform works, it really can do a lot in terms of changing mindsets, um, bringing in money, uh, changing behaviors, getting individuals, communities, partners, policymakers, even sometimes governments to work together to create that kind of impact. So while it's launching in November, December, I mean, hopefully this is something that will be a very memorable, relevant message for people that will last year around.
0: So what were a few of the core insights that were gained in doing your discovery work to To rebirth basically this initiative?
2: Uh, Well, one thing we had to do was um, rethink about how we engage with people uh, around this issue. Whereas Taiwan On for Safety was very much focused on securing a red ribbon or eventually a magnet and physically doing something with it. Um, We live in a world in which those types of um, activations are are, are not as popular. And most of what you're seeing in terms of people's identification um, and representation in a movement is happening digitally and in particular in social media. And so the main activation is really a pledge uh, that we're asking people to take to um, really uh, do whatever they can to plan ahead, to assure that they will get there safely this holiday season um, and be there for any others in their life that might need uh, support, whether they need a designated driver or uh, share Take the pledge and show that you stand for this cause and we'll aim to get there safely this holiday season um, and share that representation on social media. Um, And we also have a couple of other um, activations on the website, um, which allows for people to uh, safely host a holiday party, um, you know, effective ways to speak to somebody who is impaired but wants to drive home. How do you talk to them? downloadable posters. Volunteers can hang and, and in bars and restaurants to make good decisions about getting home safely. Um, and, and and one of Stacey's great ideas uh, we had talked about earlier on was a, a toolkit now that we're creating for companies um, who are, many of them, gathering together for holiday celebrations. Are they thinking about their employees getting home safely? And so we have a toolkit for companies and hope to see some
0: employee participation as well this year. It's a significant evolution. So we know it's going gonna, it's gonna to really peak a lot of engagement and such. Curious about in all of the decades of the work for MAD, what have you learned
1: about changing
0: behaviors?
1: Storytelling is really important. Uh, I think people don't want to be preached to or at, but they are open to the experiences and stories that other people have. Um, It's one of the reasons why I think TikTok is so successful because it's a lot of people telling stories and sometimes they're funny, sometimes they're sad, but they, these are actual people telling stories and I think it's really compelling. And I think there is openness as there was back in the early 80s to people becoming better informed and better educated Sometimes through the storytelling of loss and through real pain, but being educated and informed about the kinds of behavior that uh, needs to change in order for um, not there not to be some bad outcomes on our roads. And I think if we can figure out how to bottle all that up and apply it in the cannabis situation today, we've got to really start speaking to that, especially for young people who don't see that that See that as a, as a major concern or as much of a concern.
0: I, I'm curious about two other trends. Obviously, cannabis availability is, a, is a, a big one. It's not a trend, it's a reality. The two um, trends for youth one is about greater health and eating healthier, less drinking and such. And then also the fact of ride sharing.
1: I think on the ride sharing um, issue, that certainly has been helpful. What's important though to know is that ride sharing services are not available in every single uh, community and or not readily available, and sometimes they can be expensive. We also see that there are a significant number of crashes that happen in rural areas again, where there may not be ride sharing services available so it is a huge part of the solution. unfortunately, it doesn't get us all the way there of eliminating crashes. Um, on the health issue with young people, though, I guess the one thing I think is really important to sort of dig into, and that is to really begin to speak more directly to the mental health issues that may lead young people um, to decide to not only drink, but then to get behind a wheel and drive. Um, I think during the pandemic, the explosion of um, alcohol consumption overall, um, as well as the... Um, Exploding issues around mental health that many young, many people in general, but many young people have have experienced, is is adding to the challenges that we have with respect to keeping young people safe. And so, while I think there may be you know greater awareness around health, I think one of the things that we're still in this country struggling with is how do we get mental health support uh, to people, and especially the young people, in ways that will give them the tools they need to make safer choices so that they avoid drinking, especially underage drinking. And so part of our program programming is trying to educate young people about um, making safe choices. But that's also tied to the choices they feel they have available to them if they're struggling from a mental health perspective. Um, they may not understand what options or have the tools to make safe choices. So that's something we have to really grapple with at Matt.
0: That, that's super smart. Stacey, I know, you know, your work with March of Dimes and United Way and your board seats that you're very much a proponent of values-driven leadership. Can you talk a little bit about why that is important, especially today in our very transparent world and especially where Gen Z is desiring to have belonging and meaning in the, in their workplace?
1: All kinds of implications have come from the pandemic, but I think one of the things that, um, really stands out is the fact that um, I think people got reminded that life is really short and it's very fleeting. And I think we were already seeing that um, young people in particular were realizing, look, if I'm going to spend a significant number of hours of my day working somewhere or spending my life contributing in an organization, I really want to make sure that organization speaks to my personal values. And I think I applaud younger generations for standing up for those kinds of values um, and really holding organizations and companies accountable to live up to their own, their own values. You know, we think from that perspective, um, Matt is a great place to work for young people because every day you get to do something that's meaningful and important to save people's lives and, and hopefully change the world. And that's something I know motivates a lot of young people today. It motivates a lot of us uh, of any age.
0: I think you're absolutely spot on and, and the workplace truly Truly has changed. In closing, Kim, what are one or two key insights that you would want to share with your colleagues who are contemplating, as as Stacy talked about, more of a values based career, perhaps one or not for profits, and and what should they look for, and then what are the contributions they should be prepared to make?
2: Well, the first thing you would need to start with is an understanding what behavior you're seeking to change you should really know which audience you're trying to reach and what behavior you are seeking to change. You need to know what motivates your audience, how they tick. You need to understand them. You need to look at the issue that you're fighting for through the lens of your audience um, so that you can really understand for them how this is relevant. What's in it for them if they get involved? So audience is key. Telling compelling stories. It's it's about the heart and the mind. There's a rational case to be made in terms of, uh, we talked about the statistical you know, the, the high rate of deaths of uh, of people due to drunk driving, but it's the stories, the emotional heart cell. So you have to get to the heart of your issue. You need to activate your people. There has to be something to do. Always fundraising is a part of that, but how else can you engage? And I think just um making sure that all of that is articulated really well will drive the impact that you're seeking. And then as you launch this campaign, Make sure you report back every year. Like, how, What progress are you making towards that? Because these are marathon quests. These are not sprints to a finish line. Like The, the fight that Matt is waging is going to still last for decades, though changes on the horizon and things are going to be improved through technology. We need to um, keep the foot on the accelerator <laughs> um, and we need to report back annually. And I think I would tell any nonprofit to make sure that you're doing that so that you keep people with you for the long haul.
0: Stacy, you've had, as I said, a storied career and you are not one to um, turn away from challenges. What sort of insights do you have for um, an early stage professional, someone who's in the middle of their of their career?
1: You know, one of the things I've always said um, that I think is kind of a, a rule that I've sort of lived by is um, I've always tried to align my um, personal passions with my professional pursuits. And I think at some point you have to have the courage to just make the choices that you think are best for you. It's funny, when I went to Wall Street, my father was a physician and he knew absolutely nothing about Wall Street and finance and all that stuff, but um, he just heard me talk about it and heard how passionate I was and and applauded the choice that I made, even though it was very much a different choice than he made in his career. And same thing for my own kids. I have a daughter start start studying marine biology. I know absolutely nothing about marine biology, but this <laughs> okay. is what she loves to do. You right. know, this is not my life. This is her life. And I think at some point, everybody's got to decide what's your purpose in life. It's interesting. This podcast is Purpose 360, right? Because this is like, you know, what is your purpose in life? Why are you here? And you can't let all these other things around money that you got to make and student loans you got to pay. And I mean, those are real things. I'm not dismissing them. But I'm just saying at some level, you'll never solve even those things if you're not doing what you're absolutely passionate about doing. And that's what you have to figure out. And then let, let life take you in in the path from there.
0: Brilliantly stated. I I love that. I also love the fact that your daughter's a marine biologist. That's really
1: that's very different. And another who's a and another who's a journalist too. To, and a journalist. I, know I I understand that one a little better. But I, <laughs> those are two different paths for me. So, but I'm I'm proud of them both. So I
0: I also have to embarrass you a little bit. You have um something called the Sports Mom Foundation. Yes, you've got a personal foundation which I love because. You focus on helping girls, especially uh, you know build their confidence through sports. Can you just mention a little bit about that because you had this incredible career you've worked so hard in so many things, but you still got this other personal passion
1: yes because i don't uh haven't i don't have enough things to fill my days so right, I right. One more thing to like, <laughs> but uh it, it is just something I do really in my personal time i have um my husband, I blame him. I, 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 I. Uh, my both of my daughters were um, were athletes, and uh, one of the things that I saw is, I for fifteen years plus watching them and taking them to tournaments and games and all kinds of things all around the Washington D.C. area where I live and all around the country. Really, is that um, when you go to different neighborhoods and different communities, um, especially if you're in an underserved community, you can definitely see the talent. But sometimes the the teams coming from more highly resourced communities are the ones that win the games or win the tournaments. And again, it's not due to lack of talent. It's just due to lack of preparation and the resources to invest. And then when I started to look at NCAA statistics on college female student athletes, um, there's such disparity. You know, about 60% of women student athletes in college are white. Only a nine, about nine percent are black, about six percent Hispanic, and I thought this is makes no sense, right? There are there's plenty of talented girls in every community, and what's missing is their ability to be developed and be college recruit ready. So we started a um, a foundation uh, to help provide the resources to make sure they could get college recruit ready. And I think the last thing I'll just say about it is that I was not encouraged to pursue sports, I, I did. I did it a little bit in high school, but it wasn't something my parents really believed in. But it's something I believe in, which is that sports gives, provides a different aspect of growth and development for young women, many of whom struggle with confidence and self esteem. And you see that even in adulthood, right? Where women struggle to speak up in a meeting or don't want to volunteer. Uh, lo- lovely.
0: Th- that, that you have lots of pa- personal passion in your life. Um, Kim, any final comments? This has been a great conversation
2: my My last thought, which I think would align with yours very well, is that um, that finding your purpose as an articu- as an organization and then articulating it sort of like in a three hundred and sixty degree way really can change the game for your organization. Um, you know, whether you're um, you know trying to raise revenue or get greater engagement. Uh, at the end of the day, you will deliver great profit but profound social impact, which is why we all come to work every day especially at mad. So find your passion, articulate it, change the world.
0: And Stacey, I promise I'd give you the last word, but you already gave a great one, but you can give me one more.
1: Uh, I just, I just want to say thank you for allowing us to be a part of this. It's a great conversation. And, uh, and uh happy to join your some your many uh amazing um, guests that you've had on. It's it's an incredible opportunity. So thank you.
0: Well well thank you. I, I think that um both of you and your backgrounds, um I, I love there's a lot of pee about personal purpose and passion and profound that while MAD is is not as well known today by younger people, it is a critically needed organization. So on behalf of the families that you've impacted and our entire society, thank you. This is really important work. And I trust that our listeners during the holiday season, please make some preparations. If you're going to imbibe in any way, shape or form, have a designated driver, call your friends at Uber or sleep over at your friend's house because we really do not want any impaired driving on the road. We want to get home. We want to get there healthy, safely, and to enjoy our family and our careers and our communities and such. So thank you so much. And all on this list, have a great holiday season and be safe. This podcast was brought to you by some amazing people, and I'd love to thank them Anne Hundertmark and Kristen Kenny at Carol Cohn on Purpose, Pete Wright and Andy Nelson, our crack production team at True Story FM, and you, our listener. Please rate and rank us because we really want to be as high as possible as one of the top business podcasts available so that we can continue exploring together the importance and the activation of authentic purpose. Thanks so much for listening.